Here's what's coming up on today's show. Look, if you're a stock investor, if you're investing for growth, if you're investing for the long term, you can plan on experiencing some type of bear market roughly every five years, which is what it's averaged. When it comes to your finances, you don't want to be at a disadvantage. Tim Dyer can help. He's a wealth manager specializing in retirement planning and investment management, and he can be that financial coach that helps you achieve your goals in retirement. This is Retirement Power Play. Welcome into the Retirement Power Play podcast. I'm Ben George. He's Tim Dyer over at Dyer Wealth Management. You can find us online at retirementpowerplaypodcast.com. Tim, welcome in. Um, are you a guy that kind of sticks to the rules day to day? You rule Depends follow? on who you ask, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's certain things in any business or any industry uh, or just other things in life. You know, we call them rules of thumb. There's uh, maybe there's... Um, I don't want to say stereotypes, but there, there's a reason why it's a rule of thumb because over time, maybe more often than not, they've been closer to being right than wrong. And I, and I always say, you know, everything can't be perfect, but we want to be directionally close so that we're you know heading uh, in the right direction to whatever it is that we're trying to learn or accomplish. That's a good point. That's a good way to kind of describe why we follow rules of thumb and what they're good for. And there are plenty in finance and retirement planning. I mean, I've heard a bunch um, and a lot of them sound pretty accurate, right? And a lot of them probably worked over time, but Mm -hmm. I know that retirement planning changes um, year to year, decade to decade, because laws change, taxes change, the way that we are uh, generate income changes, the way employer-employee relationships are structured changes. There's there's a lot that, that kind of evolves over time, but I have a list of rules of thumb that I've kind of just heard about and kind of familiar with a little bit, but not completely understand whether or not they work or don't work. And I'm kind of curious how, where you stand on these, I guess, um, and whether or not you apply them typically to the planning that you do. So uh, you ready to to school me today? (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with, let's start with this one, Tim, the rule of 100. I've heard that one. That one seems to be one that's out there. A um, mm. little bit more than others that are on this list, but what, what do you know about the rule of 100? All right. So the rule of 100 is, is a rule of thumb that says you, know, you take the number 100, subtract your age, and that's the quote unquote amount of risk you should have. Now, what do they mean by risk? Some people say it as the amount, the percentage of stock that you would have in your portfolio. Okay. So let's say, you know, I'm, well, well, we'll use around. I'm 46. Um, and the, the rule of thumb would be that I would, you know, 100 minus 46, that's 54. And so I'd have a, a portfolio that's call it, you know, maybe 60, 40, or, or, you know, to say 55, 45 stocks and bonds might be a little too finite there, but you get directionally what we're, what we're getting at now. Yeah. I think if we take this to kind of an extreme, let's say you're somebody that's just getting out of the workforce and you're 20 years old, okay? 100 minus 20 is 80. So you would have 80% of your investment portfolio, whatever that might be, in stocks or something oriented towards growth. And the other 20% you might have in something like bonds, which maybe generates income, but it provides uh, some more stability, right? And so when you think about it, a 20-year-old having a portfolio that's more heavily weighted to stocks is going to, in turn, uh, be a riskier portfolio. 
put it on lines because what does a 20-year-old have? <laughs> They've got time yep. on their side, okay? If we look at uh, maybe a 75-year-old that's in retirement, uh, 100 minus 75 is 25. And so they might want to have a much smaller piece of their portfolio invested in risk assets or, for example, maybe stocks. Now, you might say, well, why, would they, why wouldn't they have their whole amount kind of protected? Well, there's something called inflation, and here we are in 2022, and that seems to be something that's uh, certainly front and center. And so we have to, you know, we tend to earmark some money towards growth to really help our uh, retirement funds keep us ahead of taxes and inflation. So I think, it's a, I think that one passes the, the sniff test in that it's a good rule of thumb. I don't think you necessarily want to have it um, you know, down to the, the penny, but it gets you directionally close. I, I want to add one other thing to this because this made me think of something. Okay. In recent years, there's something that has emerged that's been uh, very popular. It's called a target date fund. Okay. Okay. Part of that. Yeah. And really what it is, is it's, it's kind of taking that rule of 100 and it's applying it to a portfolio. So if, if you had a, let me think off the top of my head, if you had the, uh, you know, Fidelity uh, 2050 fund, really mm-hmm. what that fund is doing, so we're, uh, what, you know, roughly 30 years away from that. That might be somebody that's in their 30s that's allocating to that type of fund. But that particular fund might have, uh, it's adjusting that percentage uh, as you get closer and closer to that retirement date, which in this case would be 2050. So I want to say that um, the reason I bring that up is twofold. One, it's, it's a simple way for people to look at their investment options, kind of get a loose idea of, of what year they might retire or like to retire. And, and they could set themselves up with a target date fund that is just constantly reducing that growth component or that risk component and getting more conservative. But it's a, here's the problem, Ben. All of that stuff pencils out. It, it makes complete sense, right, to be lowering your risk as you get older and closer to retirement, right? But the problem is, is that with inflation, we're going to get, we're going to do a little econ here, okay, while we're talking numbers, but... Uh, with inflation, the way you combat inflation is by raising interest rates. And what do we know about bonds and interest rates? When interest rates go up, bonds go, say it with me, Ben, down, Down. right? Um, So the problem that we're having or, or seeing is that this particular strategy, these target date funds, which have been so common in 401k plans, uh, 403b plans, et cetera, they're essentially taking more and more money out of stocks and putting them into bonds, which are faced with this giant headwind of rising interest rates. So it's like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire, as they say, right? And so what we coach our clients on and what we uh, talk to them is, okay, let's look at, at the top level, why are we doing you know, target date fund? Or, 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 you know, why are we looking at this as a consideration? In fact, we use no zero target date funds here. Um, but we, we say, okay, if that's, if that's the allocation, why don't we, instead of putting, say, you know, uh, I'll just use an example, $10,000 into a target date fund that might be 60% stocks and 40% bonds, right? Mm-hmm. 
And that number is going down to 59% stocks, 41% bonds, then down to 50% stocks and up to 50% bonds. So as that's happening, why don't we just do it manually, okay? Why don't we put 60% into a stock fund and why don't we put 40% into something else that's secure but that maybe isn't as susceptible to interest rates. And there's a wide variety of things that it could be. Sometimes we're using things that are available inside the 401k. Sometimes we're using things that are outside. Um, it, you know, it all depends. But I just wanted to bring that up. I, I got off on a little tangent there. But again, it's kind of one of the hills that I'm going to die on. If you have a target date fund, talk hmm. to somebody about that. I don't blame anybody because it makes complete sense but the problem is you're, in a nutshell, you know, you're taking more money out of risk stocks, which seems prudent, and you're putting into something that could get hit just as bad as, as interest rates continue to climb and will so, um, you know, in the foreseeable future. Yeah. Anyways. Well, I like that tangent. I think that's important to, to kind of point that out because it makes a lot of sense when you lay it out like that, that those are basically, it kind of builds off the rule of 100 to, to kind of uh, put that portfolio together or that, um, the, all, the, all the individual investments that are in that. So it's kind of, it's, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, mm-hmm. So that's rule of 100. All right. Um, the 75% rule. I don't know that I've heard this one as much. What is this? <laughs> well, I, I was laughing because I was thinking, geez, that's, uh, that's, that's probably the, the percentage that my wife uh, thinks that she's right about everything. <laughs> Actually, that's probably the rule of 100. Uh, and in fairness, she probably is right 75% of the time. But so the rule, the seventy five percent rule is essentially saying once you retire, you'll need about seventy five percent of the income that you were earning while you're working. So if you had a hundred thousand dollar salary, there's a percent rule that says, uh, you know, you can roughly rule of thumb say you'll need about seventy five thousand. Now I, I disagree with this one, okay? Because I see some big discrepancies there. I think people. It's, it's natural to say, you know, I made $100,000 or, you know, using an easy number. Um, I made $100,000 of salary. Uh, I, I need $100,000 to live off. Well, you know, we don't have all the commuting. We don't have, yeah, there's a variety of different things that, that, but most importantly, the taxes, right? You're not putting money into a 401k anymore, right? So that's reducing that $100,000. you are now using that. So, you do technically you you probably need less than what you were earning um but the the number can vary greatly and that's not just to say if if you have a big salary you know maybe you don't need as much it 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 is a very wide range so the key takeaway there is throw that one out um sit with a professional and outline kind of what your budget is um and let me give you, here's a, a simple trick okay. or workaround. If you take your, you look at your tax return and you take your wages, you subtract out your taxes, that's, well, then you add back in your retirement contributions. But the difference, everything else is essentially your budget, right? So if, if you made $100,000 a year and you paid 20000 in taxes and you contributed 20000 to an IRA, you know, you're spending about $60,000 a year, $5,000 a month. Hey, there's my rule of thumb, right? The <laughs> but um, I know when you talk budget and people have these long spreadsheets and it's down to the penny with all the utilities and all the different things you spend money on. But you should have an idea 
if, if what I call you draw a line in the sand and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm operating my household at the lifestyle that I want at, you know, $5,000 a month or whatever it is, you know, your budget doesn't have to be that 5,000 is this, 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 and this. Now, if there's some bloat there, fine, maybe you got to pull it in. But the 75% rule, we're going to, th- we're going to put that one in the penalty box. That one, uh, that one doesn't pass. Okay. Fair enough. The rule of 72. Uh, I, 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 this one, I guess is more math than anything, right? <laughs> this is one of my favorite ones. Okay. okay. Cause I, I like to think quickly and you can use the rule of 72 in a lot of different scenarios. Let me tell you what it means first. The rule of 72 really just simply states if you take the number 72 and you divide it by the interest rate, uh, or let me not use jargon, let's just say the return that you get, for example, on an investment, that equals how fast your money will double. So let me give you an example. If you earned a 10% rate of return on your money, so you take 10, you know, 72 divided by 10, you'd get 7.2. That means your money would double every 7.2 years, okay? okay? Now, where this comes up is when we're talking to people about retirement and we talk about money that we need to live on, you know, the, that particular bucket, we also talk about the money that's in the growth bucket that's being used to replace that income bucket as well as stay ahead of taxes and inflation, Right. When I tell them, you know, what might be needed in that or what that might grow to, people say, that, wow, that seems like a really big number. But let's say you're 65 and let's just say, you know, you, you, you've, you're planning for a 30-year retirement, right? You're doing a plan around that. And let's say you had, uh, I don't know, $500,000 in a retirement account. If you were earning 7.2% per year, I'll make it easy on myself, your money would double every 10 years, right? So now we've got this 30-year time horizon. You've got 500,000 in this particular growth bucket. It grows to a million. That's the first 10 years. And then the million grows to two, and the two grows to four, right? Now, I'm not accounting for taxes, and I'm not talking about distributions. I'm just saying that when you look at how a growth bucket can grow and replace what you already have, in today's dollars, those numbers might seem unrealistic. But you don't need a huge rate of return if you let your money compound. So how fast your money doubles, you can use the rule of 72, and you can you know sort of walk out some napkin math, if you will, on what these bu- different buckets of money might look like for you. Does that make sense or is that just too much, too many numbers? No, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm sure when you look at it on paper, it's pretty clear how it works out, but it's good to kind of understand how quickly you can compound your money. Um, so but those are three of the ones that I've uh, most come across, I guess, Tim, or heard about. Um, but I know there's plenty of them out there. What are some other ones that I guess people ask you about consistently or that, uh, that you hear being discussed in this financial industry? Well, I'll give you mine. I mean, um, I, I've got one that's called the rule of five. And, you know, historically, looking back, the rule of five, we experience a bear market every five years. All right. Bear market. What's that mean? We're trying to avoid jargon here. But that's a decline of greater than 20% in the stock market. What's the stock market? Well, you, you loosely, most people refer to it as the S&P 500 or or the Dow Jones. Um, but either way, you can have a bear market in any of those indexes. But if people say the stock market is in a bear market, 
they're usually referring to the S&P or maybe to a certain degree uh, the, the Dow, uh, Dow Jones Industrial Index. But now, that hasn't necessarily played out over the last 10 or 15 years. We had a long stretch where we never had a, uh, a bear market. Um, I was reminded of, geez, when the beginning of the year, we had some choppiness, and I was walking into my office here in La Jolla, and this woman had walked up to me, um, and uh, she had a yoga mat under her arm, I remember, and she, she said, boy, you know, I, I really want, wouldn't want to be working in there today because we have our office signage, you know, dire wealth management. And I says, well, why not? And she says, oh, well, the market's, you know, really crazy right now. I says, oh, you know, okay. She's like, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if I can, if I can you know, get through this. Now, this was just a passing conversation, but I thought, you know, this, if this woman, uh, I forget how, but I think she, oh, she said, I'm in my 70s. I, you know, I don't have time to get through this or something. And I remember thinking like, well, since 1950, you've, you've been through, you know, 17 of these. Like, this is not, uh, you know, these things happen. Now, if you, if you haven't prepared for them, um, it, it can certainly be, uh, you know, something that interferes with your immediate plans. But look, if you're a, if you're a stock investor, if you're investing for growth, if you're investing for the long term, you can plan on experiencing some type of bear market roughly every five years, which is what it's averaged. Um, so, you know, uh, that's managing expectations a little bit. It goes back to the pilot analogy. If somebody tells you the turbulence is coming, you're a little less worried about it when it actually hits. doesn't eliminate fear, but it, you know, you can say, remember we talked about this under calm conditions? You know, I know it's difficult now, but hey, this too will pass. And uh, I think that's a key takeaway there, the rule of five. Okay, I like that one. And that, that's really followed by um, a second one that is the rule of 10. And, I, I, you know, that one, again, this is a rule of thumb, but if you're looking for guidance, uh, I think having, when it comes to income and, and your salary, like we talked about on the rule of 100, but the rule of 10 says, you know, to have about 10 times your salary saved for retirement by 67. Okay. Now why 67? There's a, you know, social security component to that, but you could pick any date and I could change the number, but as you sort of approach that age where historically most people flip the switch from a paycheck to now having to generate the income from their, their own investments as well as pension social security, you want that nest egg to be around, you know, at least 10, 10 times your salary by the time you get there. Doesn't mean that if you, if you don't, you can't make it work. And it doesn't mean if you have more that you're out of the weeds, right? But it's just a general rule of thumb, okay? So, you know, if, if you want to know kind of if you're on track for that, and if you are, great. What can you do to, you know, build off that success? That's something that we can do in our planning process. If you think you might be a little short or you need to calculate kind of where you are in that, that's something that we can do. Um, and there's no shame either way. Um, it's just knowing where you are now, point A, and okay, what do we need to do to uh, create the optimal outcome through a sound financial plan. Right. Anything else? Ah, here's one. The 4% rule. Okay. <laughs> I've been in the business since 1998. Studies, <laughs> and, and I mentioned that because during that time period, a lot of people were operating off the uh, academic studies that came out in the mid-80s about what is the safe 
withdrawal rate. And the academic consensus was it was about 4%. Okay, you could take out 4% of your portfolio each year, and you had a pretty high probability, uh, or a pretty low probability, I would say, of running out of money. Now that's hogwash. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so here's what I have to say about that. The number is probably closer to 2 or 3%. That, that people say academically um, you could take out. Why? Well, you know, in the 80s, interest rates were at 11%. I mean, you could, you could invest in a CD. Now, inflation was high, but you could invest in a CD, you know, make 11%, take out four, throw in some emergency funds in there and some vacations, and, you know, you're good to go. Hmm. Uh, we don't have that option anymore. The safe money options, less than 1%. Let's say, you know, it's going up, but it, it, it's, it's at historic lows. And so um, there are ways now to structure portfolios where, you know, I use the golf club analogy, but you've got the, you know, some clubs that are used for different things. The drivers to hit it a long way, the putters short way. And so you've got investments that are designed for the short term, which are removed from market risk. And, uh, for, you know, in, in a lot of cases. And then another uh, bucket of, of money that's uh, earmarked for the longer term, which is earmarked for growth. And by looking at it as, you know, different buckets, different tools that are doing a specific job, you know, you can have that short and protected. Okay, maybe that's a certain percentage. Maybe it's more than 4% distribution, right? Because you've allowed yourself to have that longer term bucket to give you a higher growth rate than that. Does that make sense? You with me? Yeah, it does. It does. And I, and I think I've heard of that one. <laughs> You're so um, smart, Ben. I think I've heard of that one a little bit. So that one doesn't completely catch me off guard, but some interesting rules. And I, I guess there's probably more out there, but uh, these are some of the more common ones that people have probably heard about and maybe wondered, Hey, is this shit up what I should be following? And again, it kind of speaks to like people that try to do it themselves while there's people that can do their planning on their own. There's some rules that are outdated, right, that you kind of have to be aware of. And if you're not, you know, it might lead you astray. Look, I, I do. I want to just kind of bring that 4% rule home because this is kind of an important one. I, I think the key takeaway there is simply that it's not that simple. Right. Uh, don't take your portfolio, multiply it by 4%, live off that, and, and go from there. I mean, sure, in certain cases that can work. But it, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And, you know, in working with a professional, you may be able to take a higher distribution rate with higher confidence because you've got a written income plan that goes around that. So uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. But uh, it's not as cut and dry as 4%. So, yeah, it never is black and white, right, with, with finance. It's very nuanced in many <laughs> aspects. All right, Tim, well, that's uh, a good look at some of the rules of thumb that are very common out there that might seem like they are easy to follow and should be followed. But as you can see, not, not the case uh, across the board. So as always, if you're curious about something you think maybe, Hey, something I've heard, maybe I want to try always lean on a professional, Tim, you can always find him, find the podcast online, retirementpowerplaypodcast.com. You can also log on direwm.com as well. Uh, but jot down this number, 858-459-3937 and reach out if you have anything you're curious about. All right, Tim, we'll close it out on that note. Uh, enjoyed this show and appreciate your insight as always. Yeah, and to our listeners, I'd love to hear uh, what rules of thumb you have in your uh, life and experience. So uh, we'll talk. We'll talk. We're available to talk anytime. Very good. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Power Play podcast. For Tim Dyer, I'm Ben George. Take care. 
The commentary on this podcast reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analyses of Sage Capital Advisors, LLC, DBA Dire Wealth Management employees making such comment and should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Dire Wealth Management or performance returns of any Dire Wealth Management Investments client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referred for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Dire Wealth Management provides advisory services through Sage Capital Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Dire Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Dire Wealth Management unless a client service agreement is in place.